Hello, hello. Fantastic Blackness is a monthly podcast brought to you by me, Tavia Nyango. And me, Shante Paradigm Song. On our show, we explore all things Black and fantastic and talk about the art that moves us, how and why. Please listen and subscribe on your chosen platform. And please join in on the conversation on social media. You can find us on Instagram at Fantastic Blackness. On today's episode, it's devoted to a single topic, The Watchmen, the recently completed series on HBO starring Regina King, Jeremy Irons, Gene Smart, and Yaya Abdul-Mateen. We began to talk about it last time. Is that right? I think so. That's right. Yes. But the show itself hadn't um, entirely aired. And um, we were also talking about it before the news that HBO would not be renewing it for a second season. Now that Damon Lindelof is stepping away from the project. What, to start off the conversation, what do you think about Watchmen not getting a second season, Shante? Well, of course, I'm quite sad um, because it was such a fantastic show from start to finish. But I also think it's very smart. Um, Watchmen was some of the smartest television I've seen in, in years. Um, it was really up there with... Um, you know, uh, so many good shows um, and some of them that um, went beyond kind of their expiration point. Um, And I think I'm much more partial to sort of short form shows or these like limited shows like, you know, like um, uh, the BBC's uh, Sherlock and things like that, that, you know, are only going to go a few seasons or one season. Um, And so that it has a, you know, these Watchmen seem to have a vision of, of what they wanted to do and, and driven by telling a story, not simply by fandom or, or ratings. Um, so I think HBO's Watchmen, like the original, original graphic novel, um, will continue to le- yield lots of great critical thought, fan fiction, and, and conversation for, for years to come. Um, and, you know, it's funny because after got, you know, Game of Thrones finished last year, it was clear that the storytellers, the showrunners, couldn't really hold this incredible, vibrant world they had built, you know, regardless of how you know, <laughs> people felt about, you know, Daenerys' um, portrayal at the end, which I liked, but anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think like there's too, some... Actually. Yeah, I was like, yeah, this is, like, really smart. Um, but I think there is some humility in saying, you know, we told an incredible story, and now we need a break. So I think if Damon did eventually decide he wanted to tell the story of Angela as Dr. Manhattan, um, there needs to be considerable space for that story to be developed in order um, to be executed well. So what are your thoughts on the, on the end of the series? Yeah, I tend to agree with a lot of that. Um, that um, I'm also, I mean, we live in the era of so-called peak television, right? And so... Mm where there's so much to watch that when you encounter a form that has, when you find a show that's well done, that is well scripted and well acted and shot and imagined, and it has a natural beginning, a middle and end. There's something about that that just really appeals to me, you know? Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. um, it, um, it, it does, it does reflect, as you said, the kind of miniseries structure, which is more popular in um, in other markets. And but also, you know, it, it resembles my, you know, um, my memory. I mean, I, I read The Watchmen as a graphic novel. I understand they originally came out as as comic books, as episodic comics, but mm. I read it as a graphic novel. And you know, the graphic novel form does also come to an end, right? And you can always yes. have. Um, uh, continuations, but there is something of uh, um, feeling, feeling, feeling fulfilled. The other, um, the other point about um, about ending is that uh, the particular some cliffhangers are designed to like seem designed to sort of rope audiences in and to build. Um, and others are actually 
questions that are fantastic and speculative and almost never meant to be answered, you know, like I've learned never to say never, right? But I actually found the pos- the prospect of Angela as Dr. Manhattan so so fantastic and speculative that I almost didn't want it to be just simply, you know, like <laughs> tune in next fall and see what happens, right? Because it would be kind of either or, and then they would have to make a choice. Whereas there was something very powerful actually about, um, about, um, you know, about having that character. We don't really ever know whether they take on these extreme superpowers or not. And I guess the last thing I'll say about that is that the reason that connect connects for me to the power of kind of getting into why Watchmen as a, as a, as a property has sort of endured over time and what happens when it's transformed in the way that it has been on, uh, on HBO's, uh, series is that, you know, I remember reading, you know, again, reading it as a, as a teen, um, way back in the stone age. And I was very struck by, you know, the premise of the original, uh, comic books, which I know we're going to talk about more later, but part of the original premise was these were superheroes who did not have superpowers for the most part. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, Angela, does not have superpowers right? <laughs> you know, right. uh, for the most part, right? And the only person in this world who does have superpowers is Dr. Manhattan. And so to the extent that his story dominates the um, any story, any Watchmen, you know, story, it kind of tilts the, the you know, the weight towards yeah. towards uh towards superpowers right which is totally fine i mean it's definitely a superpower narrative but it's it's also it, it, there's a there's a kind of meta commentary about about superpowers and yes. and our love of these um uh our our love of these uh narratives that watchman is able to kind of get at precisely because so many of the characters are in the proximity of of the superheroic without themselves being um, super heroic in that respect. I think Angela Abar, you know, before she becomes potentially Dr. Manhattan reminds me of another, uh, Dave Gibbons character who I know you also, um, uh, know, which is, uh, Martha Washington. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. That's a great, it's a great tie in. Um, I, yeah, I, you know, I am a big fan, as you're saying, of the street level, um, uh, superheroes, so like the Defenders and Marvel, you know, like uh, uh, Daredevil and Jessica Jones, and you know that that great television. Which hopefully that actually I, I would like to see that maybe Disney Plus will pick that up. But um, I think there is something really uh, important to think about the superheroes without superpowers, you know, or like Arrow um, in, in the DC world. Um, and so like yeah, the super you know Superman and Batman and Spider Man and Wonder Woman and the Hulk, you know, these people are sort of gods. And so what, what happens when it's, you know, the regular human being or like the, the origin story is it like, like as in, um, as in Watchmen, the origin story of the superheroes is based in the, um, not in the fantastic or in the like alien, but in the uh, white supremacy of, of the United States, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the superhero develops out of the conditions of, of white supremacy and a, a lynching failed lynching you know and so i think about um recently i was watching um i was reading something that was talking about how um uh it was talking about as we know that uh that uh uh police procedurals are used in part to um turn uh our favor towards the police and this is also something you brought up with where we're with Watchmen, we're sort of caught between the KKK and the police as like who we're going to root for, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the, it was talking about how in a lot of those procedurals, they would initially start off with the black people as victims and test audiences hated it. Mm. And so they always have to change the victims to white people. Um, and, you know, similar with, you know, this in, in, in Watchmen, that's the, you know, in, the re, in this HBO revisioning, um, this original superhero is, you know, black man, but has to be revisioned as a, uh, as a white man, you know? Um, so I, I think hooded that justice, right? Hooded justice, right. Which, and hooded which, justice, 
go on. Yeah. No, I just have to say, like, because I was again, I was like flipping through the original Watchmen again last night, and it's such a wonderful retcon because mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure, based upon the um, the artwork, that Hooded Justice was envisioned as a white man, like you see, like yeah. white skin around the eyes, but. You look at that outfit, my God, with a noose around his neck. I, I know, mean, it was I know, so I know, like, I know. <laughs> if ever there was like a racial unconscious to the original, know. you know, vision, that was it. So that was, I mean, I don't know who to credit for that brilliant piece. I mean, I think it was Damon who, okay. who lo- was like, had studied the comic mm-hmm. um, for many years. And, uh, you know, and, um, and I think, um, although Alan Moore, um, wasn't involved. Dave Gibbons was involved in this in this production, correct? I think as a executive as producer a or something. Executive I'll producer. check so that. Yeah. So it's interesting. So some of the critique, of course, or I don't know if it's critique. Let, let me not maybe raise it to that level. Some of the dislike of this show, even though this show is amazing, coming from a lot of white boys who were saying mm-hmm. that Watchmen doesn't have any. I mean, I was like, have you read Watchmen? Does it have any political? Co- All comics are political. I mean, it's crazy. Oh, like, like, right. They're yeah. like keep politics out of it. I'm like, are you kidding? This is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, part of them were saying, well, ha ha ha, of course it's not going to have a second season because, I mean, it's not because it wasn't popular. Um, the, produ- the creators weren't even involved. So it's interesting how Alan Moore, how Dave Gibbons actually gets erased from, mm-hmm. uh, being a, a major contributor to, it's like he and Alan Moore did a lot of work together and it's like Alan Moore, you know, didn't want anything to do with the film either with, uh, what's his name, um, I can't remember his name. He did 300. Um, uh, you know, he didn't want to have anything to do with the Watchmen film. Um, but Dave Gibbons did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zach, Zach Snyder. Um, Zach Snyder's film. So right, I, right. I, I, this idea that, I mean, even if no, um, the writers weren't involved, which is not unusual, right? Yeah. Um, that wouldn't be a problem. But Dave Gibbons, in fact, was involved in this production. So I think that is actually significant um and thinking but going back to what you're saying thinking about this envisioning of will reeves as hooded justice and that this yeah this retcon of like uh so much of science fiction and fantasy is retcon like uh star wars for instance you know uh, um things things that we think of now as like canon like uh, the reasons that this story is so choppy is because darth vader wasn't originally luke's father Luke and Leia weren't originally brother and sister. So like that was like uh, George Lucas and his wife were like rewriting. uh, Apparently his wife wrote a lot of it. So it was being developed as the story came along. And so this idea that this like the canon of science fiction, it's like, it's constantly being massaged and rethought and re and and Mm -hmm. I think that Watchmen is actually a really great um, uh, universe for that because it's so rich. And there's mm-hmm. so many stories to be told. I mean, like, uh, even the relationship between Angela and Cal and their, the kids they adopted, you know, or the relationship between Angela and, and her grandfather, you know, I mean, it's the relationship between Will Reeves and Lady True, it's all, these are really rich stories. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, I, um, I, you know, up- I, I, go on. No, no, I just, I just was going to, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot in there that um, I wanted to, a lot of different directions that we could go, but one that I um, wanted to think about in particular in terms of keeping, again, with this thread of, of sort of revisioning. Um, so, you know, Angela Abar, as we know, is a new character created for yeah. uh, the television series, and she is the protagonist, I mean, pretty much the protagonist of the show, right? I mean, certainly yeah. by the end of it, it becomes clear that this is, you know, this is, this is her story. There are other stories as well. Um, and, you know, part of the, again, yeah, white boy response to this, you, mm. know, you know, this version of Watchmen is a reaction against that. Um, yeah. There's another, you know, again, weird move though, which is, you know, you talk about the relationship between Angela and her husband, Cal, who is later revealed to be, an incarnation, or if that's mm. the best word, of John <laughs> Osterman, you know, of mm-hmm. um, of, uh, of Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. And in fact, you know, a, a version of Dr. Manhattan based upon the reanimate, reanimation of a black cadaver that they mm. find in a um, 
uh, in a uh, a hospital or a morgue in uh, in Vietnam, Vietnam you know, yeah. implying that you know that this is a young black man who has committed suicide. I think I think if I mm. remember the plot line exactly, or died somehow in Vietnam, uh, yeah. which is in this alternate history, the fifty first American state. Um, so. So then we have we have not just a sort of black male Dr. Manhattan, but also one who is sort of still Dr. Manhattan, kind of animated in a, a black man's body. Is this mm-hmm. a weird move? You know, it was, I have, as you're talking about it, I'm remembering the reveal and that incredible storytelling, the camera angles, mm-hmm. um, the way that, um, uh, you know, they told the story through stories and, and, and through different time jumps and different experiences, mm-hmm. trying to help us experience time or approximate mm-hmm. the way that uh, John Osterman experiences time, mm-hmm. and, which is si- all time simultaneously, which is very, you know, yeah. metaphysical and also, you know, probably the truth of how time really works rather than yeah. just put it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I... Um, I was very, I, I was very curious about, they gave us little hints, you know, mm-hmm. because um, Jean Smart's uh, character, the first time she sees Cal, she's like, he's hot. You know, Lori, Agent Blake, he's yeah. hot. And I thought it was so weird that she was like, she mm-hmm. was like, you know, and then I thought, oh, maybe she's just like a cougar. Cause she's like, you know, the young guy is like uh, agent is, FBI agent is really into her. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, they were like leading us to this all along. I thought it was really interesting to think about, for me, particularly on television, to think about, um, to feel what it felt like to have depictions of kind of like black love, as it were, on TV and on, mm-hmm. on something like HBO in a universe like Watchmen and how um, how that they were going to make that um, relevant and Cal not just a throw off. And so when it when it was revealed that he was John... I was stunned mm-hmm. and I was also like delighted uh, mm-hmm. by that, by that reveal, how they revealed it and by the plot reveal device reveal itself. Um, and I think in part, it was interesting to think about John Osterman um, um, replicating or, or envisioning uh, Angela's desire. Like who, mm-hmm. who would she desire, you know, mm-hmm. uh, who would she desire and who would she bring home to Oklahoma, mm-hmm. um, particularly as um, she was, had suffered so much loss. Mm-hmm. Um, her parents dying in front of her, a terrorist mm-hmm. attack in Vietnam and her, or a freedom, a freedom, a freedom fighting attack, however you want to, you know, mm-hmm. really think about that. And then her grandmother or her, was it her grandma? Yeah, her grandmother coming to uh, rescue her and dying at the point of rescue. So I think there was something interesting about, um, there's something I think, to be teased out about Osterman um, uh, envisioning that this would be the ideal kind of man, but also that to give, uh, revive and re um, try this black man in life again, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, not, yeah, it was like a car accident or he killed himself or something quite tragic, Um, but that it was interesting to think about you know, reanimating or the 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 reincarnation of a god as a you know as a young um, oh yeah. yeah black man you know yeah no the, the the allegorical power of that is now that you're bringing it up that way right and also the fact that he he is a sort of a, an avatar and it, he's evoking that kind of avatar mythology even uh, to the extent that you know, like uh, John partially forgets who he is, right? He kind of relies yeah, upon that's right. that's Angela right. to, re- to remind, you know, he, the, the way he can kind of experience like mortal, <laughs> mortal life <laughs> yeah. is by, is by kind of forgetting that he's Dr. Manhattan. Um, so, Indeed. yeah, no, I, I, I agree with all that. I mean, they're such a, a charming couple and, and the kids, this is like, I don't know if I should say this on the podcast, but like <laughs> the kids always weirded me out because I swear to God, they really reminded me of young, like a blanket and, and Michael Jackson's kids. Me too. Me too. I kept thinking, why is the, the Topher one so weird to me? Like, <laughs> it's so true. 
Okay, so I'm not the only one. I feel less crazy oh, now because no. it's really just an act. <laughs> okay, I kept thinking, <laughs> why do they look like Michael Jackson's kids? Okay, but other than that, like, <laughs> so true. Like it. I'm I'm clearly going to hell. Um, but uh, the you know yeah, like the way in which this, like I guess part of what it speaks to. The reason why, you know, one of the things about the show that's so current is it's straight up depiction of white supremacist conspiracy, meaning like yeah. active KKK type organizing, yeah. coupled with, you know, just, I want to say ordinary microaggressions slash, mm. in a, you know, the, the challenges of just being a black person in a predominantly white state, um, if Oklahoma, I mean, I say that, yeah, Oklahoma's a probably a white state, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, take, taking a wild guess here, right? You know? um, and, you know, um, and all the kind of continuous comments about, like, those are your kids, you know, and, like, that mm-hmm. kind of thing, right? And, like, how did you end up with those kids? And that that is part of the world of the, of the police procedural, right, where it's, yeah. it's you know, um, and um, so, so, no, that the, um, the other thing that, the other relationships, the other other family relationships are also quite interesting. And um, Angela's, ultimately Angela's relationship with her uh, grandfather, I found quite touching and effective. Mm-hmm. I will say that at the beginning of the series, um, I, I had a hard time, had a hard time with it, if only because, and I wonder what you think of this, but a, the the show is sort of set up to she's sort of set up as this black person who doesn't have family mm-hmm. and my first thought was like what black person doesn't have family like, right, right, like what right. black person has to go to some weird like Henry Louis Gates Henry museum. Louis Gates like <laughs> like break into a museum and donate their DNA to find their family I just couldn't I mean I don't I don't even mean like immediate family like you know father right. Great. mother but like extended family i just yeah. and then you know when she's like i want to take cal back to tulsa because that's the last place if there was a false note i would say in the series as a whole in terms of how it kind of evokes black life it might yeah. be that i just i just had a really hard time imagining you know someone that cut off from like extended circles although i'm sure that was the point of yeah of the story right and the fact that she's born and they're i guess they're both in vietnam and they're to that extent uh, both black and you know part of this story of American empire, right? That includes um, Southeast Asia as a really important uh, critical uh, staging ground, I guess. You know, but mm-hmm. um, so I so I so I see why they make her someone who's detached from family and has to get access to it through uh, genetic testing and uh, that amazing episode of uh, what does she use the the um, uh, the drugs that she takes, the, yeah, the, the nostalgia drugs. Nostalgia, <laughs> nostalgia. Um, but, but it was, it, it felt like an interesting choice, you know, to, to have someone have to, to have to kind of access her, 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 her ancestral memory through, through technology in that way. Yeah, it was a little, um, I mean, there feel, there are mysteries and layers to the show that feel like they are, purposely there to, to, uh, for us to unravel, you know, over mm-hmm. time. But this did feel like, there were times where I was like, if, if the point was that she lost her family, I mean, we see her parents, you know, uh, murdered and we see her grandmother die, but um, it's, it's almost like there was a disconnect. There was some kind of faint connection between uh, the, the, um, I mean, obviously, it was there was a through line between the uh, starting with the uh, Tulsa race riots, but it wasn't kind of seen through in a way, or it wasn't um, it wasn't um, shown mm-hmm. um, in a way that I think would make sense. It's like okay, we're I guess we're supposed to imply that like that was the only line of the family to survive, but even even not blood family, play family, and you know mm-hmm. kinship. It's just there are very few I think black people are totally alone in the world. I mean you know, that's a particularly American um, idea, but, you know, maybe it was, maybe it was um, a way to kind of, I mean, she was a new character, right? So maybe it was a mm-hmm. way to kind of um, um, 
um, demonstrate the depth of her loneliness. But yeah, it did it bring a little hollow, like, hmm? Like, really? No, you don't know any of your people? Um, but I do think it's funny, interesting you say this because I was looking at the, I was looking at the cast um, uh, sort of sheet. And, you know, just a reminder, even though, I mean, Regina King is, <laughs> she is, who knew Brenda from 227 would, <laughs> was, was, was such a powerful, you know, actor. And uh, mm. she just really, I mean, she's masterful. She's like, she's, oh my God, yeah. She's unbelievable. But this show only had three black main characters, right. which is really interesting to think about because it feels, because of her presence and mm. her, uh, both as a character and then Regina King as an, Angela's as a character and Regina King as an actor, it felt like a much more black show, you know? Mm. But it's only, it's only Angela Cal and Will as the main, in terms of main storytelling. And so I think that's really interesting that in many ways, um, um, uh, I'm, I'm curious about, and maybe, you know, audience members, those of you listening, you could, you could continue this conversation on, on social media, but I'm really curious. I've seen some people um, now start to watch it. Some black folks are like, oh, you know, I was on board from the beginning because it was Watchmen. And then I was like, oh, Martina mm-hmm. King. And now people are hearing about her performance. Some people are dubious. Hmm. Um, and I'm like, it's, you know, you genius. You, you must watch it. And um, it's interesting to think about uh, sort of black audiences more generally relationship to things like science fiction and fantasy where, um, you know, for instance, we know that like when black audiences really started watching en masse, started watching Game of Thrones en masse, it really took off in a different way. Hmm. Um, so it, it became less niche and black Twitter got really involved with, you know, them thrones and, um, the, the different hashtags that really drove up, uh, game of thrones, social media presence and things like that. And the commentary. And so I do, I do wonder about, I've been thinking about this as I've been, um, you know, w- watching, a, prioritizing watching a lot of, uh, science fiction and fantasy shows with black leads or with black stories. I've been thinking, I've been sort of thinking about this relationship of, um, storytelling and and um, black trauma, you know, inside of inside of uh, Watchmen, um, mm-hmm. and you know, does that make it uh, does that make it more desirable for people to watch or more difficult? I mean, of course, it's brilliant storytelling, but yeah, just thinking about these things about family loss, about historical trauma um, that you know, a hundred years ago, thinking about um, the legacy of. Uh, racial terror that continues as we see, you know, it's, uh, they walk us through the timeline of the changing same in terms of um, uh, white supremacist, um, not just groups, but also political figures, uh, governor, mm-hmm. uh, police chief, you yeah. know, wives, uh, senators, all that, all that stuff involved at the highest levels, as we know, um, in um, uh, orchestrating uh, um and maintaining white supremacy over, you know, black, indigenous, and other people of color in the United States. Yeah, I think that, um, well, there's a lot in there. And um, I part partly just thinking through what you've what you said, and in particular, latching on this, latching onto this idea of, of the role of Black trauma and and the ways in which Watchmen might stage that. I know that at least I've had at least one conversation with um, with uh, a, a friend who really objected to the show precisely because you know he felt like it was using the scenario of white supremacy mm. to to kind of in his words have its cake and eat it too. Right, so you get to have this Joe Keen character who's kind of revealed. Mm. as this um white racist you know get to call um uh angela you know you you black bitch you know and it's like you know and i'm like well you know in context you know (laughs) or whatever you know but also the point is that he's a villain right but you know to my friend he's like well no actually yes we know he's a villain but it's or do we know he's a villain like what is the you know what is the you know what is the um uh what is the uh, you know what is the, what is the consequence of having this show who as you that as you point out only has a couple of black characters in it 
and mm. they're still relatively I would say um, even though we do get you know this is this is the paranoid reading as opposed to the reparative reading of Angela Abar right you know but like even though she's 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 this incredible character and she's brought to the brink of you know superheroic omnipotence by the end of the show she has to go through a lot of shit to get there right and yeah. <laughs> And, you know, she she's doing that without a lot of support. Again, right. even her relationship with her, uh, even with her, uh, I think it's really interesting that her relationship with her um, her grandfather, whom, whom she only discovers as a grandfather at a certain point, right, is incredibly fraught, right? Mm-hmm. And is technologically mediated, right? Like they're really not, it's not lovey-dovey. I'm not saying it should be, you know, obviously mm-hmm, this is drama. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand that there is going to be, dramatic tension and acting i get all that right but it is sort of like you know it's sort of significant that there you know this depiction of blackness it's good actually that cal and 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 angela have have this relationship that they do because otherwise you you know one could imagine people pointing to the show and being like this is this another you know black trauma spectacle right um and um you know, it's it ultimately part part of part of my relief and not seeing it kind of go on. You know, is um, is not having to is is not having to sort of watch them maybe um, ruin it by prolonging it. You know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. or or, or trying or trying to fix it in some way. You know, I don't think it necessarily has to be. You know, the decision that they made, which was to start with the Tulsa race riots and then to kind of ground a kind of um, the moral uh, drama of the show in um, in black survival of white racism is is one they have to kind of live with, you know, that kind of animates the, and undergirds the rest of the show, you know, and yeah. that's just it, you know. Um, it, um, but it doesn't necessarily, I don't necessarily think it should be the only, I don't think anyone's saying this, but it shouldn't be the only way in which we get black characters in fantasy, certainly. Right. 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 And I think it's so interesting. You said that about, yeah, the fraughtness of Angela and Will's relationship. I mean, let's talk about Will for one second. So one, Mm -hmm. she meets him basically um, because he murders her bestie. Who's like a grand wizard. <laughs> right. Who's a grand wizard of the clan who, who she doesn't know somehow. Like that's the thing. It's like she's never figured out that her best friend is a clan member. Like that's what I mean about the levels of, you know, like she's yeah. a, <laughs> she's an investor she's like she's like a detective and it's like right it's like it's like the racist among the white the, the grand wizard among us and it's like mm-hmm. and then they, then there's also like a speculation of a sexual tension between them, you know? Right, right. And so you know, I mean, Don Johnson, of course, like, I was like, you know, uh, I also love these shows where they kill off the main character, like, or one of mm-hmm. the main characters. I'm watching um, The Outsider now, uh, another mm-hmm. Stephen King, and, like, they do the mm-hmm. same thing in the, like, first episode. But I, I think it's really interesting that it's like, how does she not know? Are they saying that, like, white, these white supremacists are so good that they have intimacy with Black? I mean, it just it's just very, mm-hmm. it's very confusing about... Um, or if it's, or if it's just sort of like, yeah, they're, it's, it's everyone. I, I, I don't know, but there's so, there was something about that that bugged me, but that she meets her grandfather, you know, and we later find that he uses the same device that they use to kill all these black people in New York. The police use to, to, uh, use, um, mind control. He uses that to get Judd to kill himself. And I, so that's, you know, interesting, but then, I couldn't figure out what the purpose was of making it seem like his sexuality was a problem. And what I mean by that is that when I read accounts of it, there are accounts that it's like, he's closeted. And I, and I read it as that he was queer. He was like, loved his wife and was sexually attracted to her and was also sexually attracted to men. Mm-hmm. And had a relationship with now I'm forgetting the 
I'm forgetting that. Oh yeah, with the buxom, uh, the buxom white man's uh, yeah, Captain name. something rather. Captain, yeah, Captain whoever. <laughs> but so I, Mr. I, Shadow, I was, maybe. No, 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 no I no. can't remember his name, but we'll you know figure okay. it out. We'll figure but it. but I was I remember thinking, I remember thinking, there were just some moments where I felt like um, they could be more, they could be more complex. And that they, they went for some kind of um, easy out, or or at least the way the story was told, um, it 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 made it a little too easy. And mm-hmm. I think that like you know, um, Will Rees was like this very complex figure, you know, queer man in the '30s or '40s, whatever it was, and mm-hmm. a black vigilante and a cop, black cop. Right, uh, you know, with oh all God. these Irish and yeah. Italian guys in New York City, I love that. Also, that we move. Um, going back to what you said about Black people inside of American imperial U.S. imperialism, mm-hmm. that we move, we see these different locations. It's not just racist Oklahoma, right? We, oh yeah, Oklahoma, Tulsa, right? Mm-hmm. It's New York City. You know, mm-hmm. it's Vietnam, and seeing the the spread the infection of white supremacy uh, everywhere, that it's not contained by sort of region or, or country. Um, and that there are these, uh, th- this idea that there's certain parts of the United States that are, you know, well, uh, without uh, white supremacy and without race, uh, racial terrorism. It's very mm-hmm. interesting, very interesting and persistent lie, you know, um, if, you know, if there is such a thing as white supremacy or racism, it's only located in these, you know, backwards places, right? Yeah. Um, and the understanding and seeing that rather the way, one thing I do appreciate about the way the Watchmen depicted the, the, the everydayness of white supremacy is that it was, it was sophisticated and it was widespread. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't somehow just, you know, it, it was, uh, it was a, net, it's a network. It is a network. You know, mm-hmm. and so I did appreciate that. But I, I guess one of the things that was hard for me, particularly with the movie, the second uh, movie scene that made um, Will Reeves uh, into uh, put it justice, was that you 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 see white people well organized in their white supremacy, but black people not well organized in their um, fight against white supremacy. They're, mm-hmm. they're victim, they're victimized. And then there's these two heroes that arise mm-hmm. to fight it, which I, I, I do think that was, um, that was sometimes very challenging for me. There's, it's like the, the, the Ur text of so many superhero narratives, whether we're talking about Captain America versus Hydra mm-hmm. or, um, you know, whoever against, you know, there's there's the hero against the sort of sophisticated uh, James Bond versus whoever yeah. he's up against, you know. <laughs> right, right. There's always this sense that, you know, and that, that I think speaks to both the like the power and like the limitations of genre, right? Where, yeah. you know, kudos to Watchmen for taking on white supremacy and anti-black racism directly. Um, but the way that they do that is by attaching it to a pre-existing framework in which, you know, we get a sophisticated and organized network of white racists, right? What we don't get is anything like an analysis of like structural racism, right? Right, right, (laughs) right. And maybe that's too much. It's probably too much to ask a television show, you know, but it is, it is interesting nonetheless that, you know, to the degree that it's able to sort of foreground, yeah, the Joe Keens of the world, um, it's less able to, um, show um yeah black resistance or, or or even even convey what the connections might be between um as you said the world that um uh you know i i found i found that in addition to uh the will and you're right his queerness is so i it was captain metropolis actually right that's the person captain metropolis yes, yes captain therapy, metropolis right? yes, yes um and uh, not not Mr. Shadow, um, but <laughs> um, but the other character who was who had you know sort of you know Lady True and mm. you know her mother slash yeah I guess it ultimately turns out to be her mother right reincarnated yeah as a, clone as a child. her clone mother yeah uh, her clone mother um, there you know 
it's it's really you know um part of me interpreted that character as you know 21st century or 2020 fan service like you'd make gotta make sure you have like enough range in your casting or whatever or in your storytelling mm-hmm. and not really connect you know that the connection being made even though so much of the show was not only set in vietnam but 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 um but actually crucial right and if you've read for those we could switch soon to talk about the um the comic books in a second, but one of the most visceral visceral images that I have from reading the comics in the 80s is that image, that full-page image of Dr. Manhattan blown up to, like, yeah. larger-than-life scale, you know, carpet bombing yeah. Vietnam. You know, right. like, that's, that's such, you know, and even though the comics don't have a lot to say directly about race, um, they do have a lot. I mean, that, that was an image about, you know, <laughs> about, yeah. about Vietnam and American imperialism that kind of stayed with me. And it, it stayed with me in a really, um, I guess in the way that, you know, my friend watching the show felt ambivalent about seeing the show kind of relish the racism of its white characters. I also wondered about the way the show kind of, the comic book, yeah. you know, depicted the amoral, detached nature of Dr. Manhattan while also, um, you know, in an era in which, you know, it's still, you know, the, the legacy of, 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 of the U.S. war in Vietnam is, is still not over, right? You know, that's but right. it wasn't certainly right. in, the, in the 80s. So um, I don't know, maybe that's a way to sort of to, to segue to talking. I know you have plans to, to teach actually both yeah. the, yeah, the yeah. series and the comic yeah, and, yeah. and the movie. And the movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I do, I think I do want to just, um, just piggyback on that and say, I appreciate your analysis. I think it's really spot on. And I think there are different models that they could have chosen that are maybe um, uh, more like, you know, more like uh, super friends model or more like, mm-hmm. you know, Scooby gang, like Buffy or something where the hero realizes that they can't actually fight these uh you know these harmful forces by themselves, and they actually need support. And mm. they and I feel like that's something that's very black, that's very African, that's very Africana. Mm. Um, so mm. anyway, that's a great point. Yeah. yeah whereas, that, whereas True's undoing, just to jump in there, right, is she also wants to. Yeah. Um, she wants to be the singular. You know. Yeah, she wants to. Yeah, I mean, the, the, my critique of, of of the sort of like the the narrative logic of this episode of this of this new series, right, is that ultimately, you know. She wants to take over her her father, right? You know, like yeah. or no, not yeah. her father, but like she wants to. Yeah, she wants to take over yeah. her father. Yeah, but also, Adrian Bites. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then and and then Doctor Manhattan, and then and then we're supposed to meant to we're meant to kind of be rooting for Angela Abar, right, right, to take it over instead, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and I'm, I'm like, okay, so is this about who is the most? deserving it's like that becomes game of thrones right you know right who's the most moral to hold you know the yeah yeah Yeah. and so i do think in some ways maybe that's a good a good reason that it ends with her about to you know walk on water because then we're i I mean i don't know i mean maybe i mean you know these are great storytellers but but then we're back we're back in a loop again where we're um where someone has godlike powers Mm -hmm. you know and no amount of human moralism can um uh, when you become a god, then you have different a different view, you know, of yeah. humanity. And so I, I, I you know, I, I don't know what, what kind of story they would tell. It would be, it would be interesting to see them try. But mm-hmm. um, so yes, I'm gonna be. I'm teaching a. Um, I am on a research uh, fellowship at Emory University at the James Weldon Johnson uh, Institute for the Study of Race and Difference, working on uh, finishing up my uh, first book and beginning to uh, work. Um, well. Not, doing more research on my second book, which is about um, black futurity. So it's a lot about uh, science fiction and also science and um, fantasy and speculation and thinking about, uh, actually thinking about things like, uh, things like vitality and life in different forms, like reincarnation and reanimation and, and, um, and things like that. And um, so, yeah, I decided that um, we'll spend the last four classes on Watchmen. <laughs> so it's a little ambitious, but we're going to read the comic uh, in one. I think we're going to start with the comic and then go to the movie, the Zach 
uh, Schneider film, and then we're gonna they'll watch some of the episodes of, on their own, and then we'll we'll do three episodes in class. So they'll watch um, you know like one and two on their own, and then we'll watch three in class, and then have discussion about you know the relation between the comic, the graphic novel, and the and the movie, and then you know end with the walk. And so I'm really excited because um, I wish. Um, when I was conceiving this class and, you know, as a professor, you have to read your books and stuff, I don't know, four months before, but I've been moving towards um, really doing more single topic uh, courses <clears throat> to go deeper. Um, so we're, you know, this race, gender and science fiction course, we're doing a lot less uh, work, although we just watched Pumsy and we're going to um, read Monstrous, Marjorie Liu, and we're going to watch some, uh, some great, uh, films, um, but trying to give more space to really go deeper into some of these um, very rich uh, worlds that come out of science fiction. So uh, I've done something like this before where I once uh, taught um, all four of the main Aliens films, um, and we did all this reading around this. That was really, really, really fun. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing um, what the students have to say. I don't know if they've watched Watchmen. I think most of them haven't read the comic, so we're um, seeing the film. So I'm really excited to hear their thoughts and reactions. I was going to say I don't think I've seen. I've read the comic, and you know, as we've been talking, watched the series, but I haven't watched the film since it was released in theaters. Is it? Does it hold up? I mean, is it? Uh... I um, I never liked it. I mean, I didn't like it that much. I mean, I thought it was like. I mean, Zach, I have, I have very, you know, Zach Snyder's, I feel very, you know, uh, I feel very torn about his films, you know, mm -hmm. about the way he sort of, you know, he has like sort of one aesthetic. Yeah. Um, but I haven't, I have not watched that film in a while. So I, uh, I, mm -hmm. I have been returning to some of those films from that time, like Hellboy and things like that. Mm -hmm. And um, so, um, I, you know, I obviously will watch it, but uh, I think, I mean, I think the show is superior in terms of storytelling, you know, mm -hmm. obviously. Um, and there's a lot more you can do with episodic, with serial than you can do with a, a you know, two or three hour film. Um, but I think there's just like, I think one of the things that Zack Snyder was really focused on was the visuals. And it was mm -hmm. very visually stunning. It was a visually stunning mm -hmm. film. Um, but, I, you know, I, I, love, I love visuals and blowing things up and, you know, killing as much as the, the next sci-fi yeah. fan. A great story with with all that is uh, is actually like transcendent, you know. And so I I'm interested to like uh, you know the sort of thinking about storytelling over different genres or different mediums. Um, uh, uh, they're much more facile with moving you know motion moving pictures than they are with um, still pictures like comics, but. Um, I, I, I'm interested to, to, to be thinking about all of the, that content together. And then we're also going to be uh, listening, hopefully, to this podcast and, um, and uh, to the Watchmen, HBO's Watchmen podcast, um, which I haven't, I've only listened to one episode. So um, get some of that in to really kind of get, a, um, get into the ecosystem of why this is such an important text mm -hmm. um, um, and why, you know, and how graphic novels um, really are, you know, this, you know, very, you know, now not so much, but this very U.S. I think of graphic novels in this interesting way as a very like American studies um, uh, textual medium um, mm. because they are, um, they are very much, uh, I mean, there's, they, they do a lot of things now, but the comics and the graphic novels that I seem to like are always exploring things like, um, you know, war and racism, like you brought up uh, Martha Washington, um, Lifetimes mm -hmm. of Martha Washington, 21st Century, which I also teach a lot. And mm -hmm. they, the graphic novels have a way of really exposing or discussing um, the state of things in a way like comedy that relaxes people's defenses. Yeah. And that gets them to really think about like, you know, um, uh, the state of you know racial inequality, or the state of gender inequality, or how um, the connections between fascism and um, um, like in Martha Washington, the connect, it's, a, it's a little—I mean, it's homophobic, but it's also interesting. The connections between 
uh, fascism or Nazism and white, uh, kind of like a Tom of Finland kind of uh, aesthetics of, of white male bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, the sort of fetishization of, of white masculinity uh, in, in, in homoeroticism. So I think, I think there's a lot, uh, a lot to consider there. And I'm hoping that um, some of the students are taking a class because they love science fiction. And then some of them are like, I'm a neuroscience major and I want to like take a, you know, or I'm like an econ major and I want to take a, you know, fun class or something. So it's, mm. they're very vibrant and they're very um, interested. Are you, are you teaching any science fiction or fantasy or speculation this semester? Um, the closest I'm getting is I'm teaching uh, Kara Keeling's new book, uh, oh. uh, Black, uh, Black, where is my brain gone here? Uh, Black Futures. <laughs> yes. Queer, Queer Times Black Futures. Queer Times uh, Black Futures, right. And, um, but I'm gearing up to teach um, a course on race and speculation. And, oh, awesome. Um, but I'll probably, it'll probably be in the fall. Oh, great. And, uh, yeah, Do you think no, you'll teach Watchmen? You know, um, if I can figure out how to, yeah, I think that uh, I would say, you know, the, 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 and if you're, you know, if your students are listening, you know, the thing that I would be fascinating to drill down into if you had four weeks and we didn't really get a chance to talk about it uh, too much would be the relationship between um, the sort of, let's just say popular history of like the race riots and, you know, or mm. political history, you know, or even family history, I guess, because that's how the story ends up being told right through the, through Abar's mother and, and grand, uh, sorry, her, her grandfather and the sort of um, genetic uh, ancestry side plot involving um, Henry Lewis Gates as secretary of treasury. <laughs> I, I just think that, <laughs> You know, because that's that's another one of those weird moments where the um, you know the third wall or whatever they call it is you know the fourth wall is sort of broken and um, the uh, a real person a real scholar who's actually yeah. you know, who's playing himself he's referred to as Henry Louis Gates in the in the series yeah and he's inviting people to swab their mouths and submit their DNA right it's like I really felt but broke the fourth wall yeah you know it really. Um, uh, it really raised for me questions about about science and scientific experimentation, which the character Dr. Manhattan in the in the novel in the graphic novel clearly speaks to right because you get a, yeah. you, you see his origin story um, in the TV series. It's really more um, that role is played more by. Um, uh, Ozymandias, you know, but mm-hmm. the sort of the figure of the scientist, the mad scientist, the mad genius scientist, or, but it's not just a mad, I don't know, I just think that there's a lot that could be, there's a whole, you know, unit that could be done kind of on when and where race and the genetic ancestry industry intersect mm-hmm. and how that gets told, how that gets, you know, that's how that gets um, um, told or retold in Watchmen. Uh, mm-hmm. as, um, you know, as an interesting, um, you know, could, could provoke an inter- interesting discussion because I found that people have quite polarized reactions. You know, I myself am horrified by the idea of submitting my DNA. Uh, totally. You know, I, see it, I, see, I see it as just as part of surveillance. I mean, to be perfectly honest, oh, I see absolutely. it as part of surveillance culture, right? And, you know, we're giving our, our, our face, you know, faces are being captured by <laughs> surveillance, you know, databases and now our genes as ours are as well. Um, yeah. But others are completely fascinated by it. And totally. they see it as an opportunity to uh, uh, go, you know, to, to um, um, what they, an opportunity to... Um, go over, you know, to sort of transcend, I suppose, the limitations of an archive that was, you know, o- obliterated yes. black history yes. and black yeah. families and the middle passage, et cetera. So. Yeah, I'm with you. I, that, that stuff is, uh, you know, uh, now this new company, I'm forgetting, there was a small company, I think out of, they were either out of Korea or China and they were doing some, you know, weird like game. And then they happened upon, um, they have this facial recognition software that's now like, I think they can, they have like three, they've collected all of these um, 
images from different databases, including Google Image, and they have like three billion images, and now they're working with police, basically. Oh yeah, so, Clearview. Yes, Clearview. Clearview. Yes. Oh my god. Yes. Like, oh my god. This is. So I was like, okay, where's all that technology? There are people who are building all these different face things, like makeup, and so you can avoid the uh, uh, mask, so you can avoid mm-hmm. the. You know, so we're really, we're in the, you know, we've been in a dystopia for quite some time, but it's really, it's really speeding up. And I think the voluntary nature of the, you know, 23andMe and all those kinds of things, not, not to mention um, people who have had, you know, DNA testing for other things like, uh, you know, for illnesses and stuff, the police can subpoena that. So even when it's, you know, supposedly not commercial, Mm-hmm. Once they have your, once it's somewhere, it's, um, you know, I, I find it really, really horrifying and, um, and scary. And I'm like, I, didn't Henrietta Lacks, didn't that story tell us anything? But, you know, I think yeah. people are hungry for, to know where they came from. And that, you know, that, that's very powerful. I, I understand I have that, I have that hunger too, as someone, you know, who comes from people who are tra- human trafficked from, you know, the continent, you know, Western, Western and Southern Africa, you know, from what I know of my family. And so, um, yeah, that makes, that makes sense. But it's also, um, it's also, you see how easy it is to become a, you know, voluntarily complicit with the state, you know, in terms of their, uh, uh, the growing global surveillance state. Well, again, I wish I was really in your class to hash out all these questions as they come up in relation to the Watchmen uh, book and film and TV series. We have to take a break, but when we come back, we'll finish up by talking about what we saw that was black and fantastic since December, since we last spoke. Tavia, what has struck you as fantastic since we last spoke in December? Um, okay, so shifting gears a little bit from science fiction, as you know, I want to do occasionally. <laughs> um, I, you know, we're the great, this is Grammys, we're recording on Grammys weekend. Yes. Uh, even though it will be long after Grammys weekend when this airs, but um, Lil Nas X and Lizzo are two of the big stories this year. But I have another uh, singer who's been kind of on rotate, and that is uh, the Afro-British singer Yola, whose Mm. Grammy-nominated song Far Away Look has been on repeat for a while. Mm. And um, I just find her voice really powerful and heartbreaking, but also her Mm. song's lyrics are piercing and filled with a really exact and compassionate accounting of loss and heartbreak. That is the kind of thing that I, for one, go to country music for. <laughs> and, um, you know, as a black British a singer, she reminds me of Dusty Springfield, another British singer who cracked the mm. code of soul stirring Americana. And I think another thing about the album for me is that it evokes another one of my favorite singers and a dear personal friend, uh, Candia Crazy Horse, mm-hmm. 2014 album Stampede was just incredible. And uh, hopefully Yola's success in reminding us that black people can do country. <laughs> uh, didn't we invent country? But, okay. I think so. I think we did. <laughs> so, um, hopefully her, nom- her success of being nominated will um, lead listeners to rediscover Stampede and all the other great uh, black country women out there too. Well, thank you for that. I am going to go listen to Yola. And thank you for reminding me to, you know, re start re-listening to Candy at Crazy Horse, who I also love. Um, I have been much more on a television kick, than, and I've been neglecting music a bit, which is a little shocking for me. Although I I listen to, uh, I've seen to listen to Megan Thee Stallion a lot, <laughs> okay. um, which has nothing to do with uh, fantasy and the... the uh, a generic term, but she is fantastic. Um, so I fell in love with uh, season one of Hulu's Castle Rock um, mm. recently. And um, really for me, any chance to watch Andre Holland work his magic as an actor is an incredible honor. I mean, I love um, Stephen King. And so it was great that that was, it's in a, uh, it's taking the um, geography of St- Stephen King and telling stories. And 
I liked season two as well. Um, but I always like seeing um, black actors shine as lead to the point of view. Mm-hmm. And Andre Holland really always gives so much of himself as an actor. He's a, such a small human being. I've seen him in person at the uh, 365 Whole Foods store in Brooklyn. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I ran into him and was like, yeah. starstruck. But he emanates so much quiet and fierce you know, power. And he's really a joy to watch. Um, and I'm also watching another King, Stephen King adaptation, um, The Outsiders, and Cynthia Arrivo is, uh, is, is one of the main actors. So I'm happy to see um, much more Black actors in a wide variety of fantasy and sci-fi and horror and speculation. So I have a bunch of Black-led or Black main cast stuff in my Netflix queue. Um, started watching The October Faction, which is based on a comic. Um, about a black woman and her white husband and their mixed race children who are monster hunters. Um, Raising Dion, which I watched season one, but I want to rewatch. Um, where a black boy child as a superhero, you know, mm. um, you know, which is which besides milestone comics, we don't really you know get that. Um, Chaos or the uh, Chilling Adventures of uh, Sabrina. So they're give, they've given the black actors much more uh, in season two and now in. Uh, they made a much more uh, ensemble show in season three. It's really great. And then I'm, I think I'm going to rewatch Crazy Head, a great British um, Netflix show uh, starring the younger sister from Chewing Gum. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's a great, it's a great, great show. Oh, I think it was just one season. It was really excellent. Um, and then someone just told me about Atlantics. That was me. <laughs> no, you did. I mean, I, I I've been telling everyone about Atlantics, but maybe oh. someone else did as well. I'm, oh, I'm someone, sure. someone did. Someone did. Um, Courtney uh, Baker just told me about oh, Atlantics, okay. but All maybe right. you told me too. Okay, so two people. So I'm gonna great watch. Great minds it. think alike. <laughs> great minds think alike. So I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna watch it today. So it's a Senegalese film about migration and love with a supernatural underpinning. So mm-hmm. I'm really. Um, uh, of course, I have a real uh, connection to Senegal myself, uh, um, spent some time there, and it's really cool that it's uh, uh, partly in Wolof, um, as well as French, and so I'm really, and also, you know, bringing um, attention to uh, Black, uh, African in particular, uh, migration stories. So I'm really, really excited to um, watch it. I'm like really, really excited. Um, and a women director, which is something. And a women director. See very often in out of Africa. So that's that's, Madi yeah. Diop, right? So yeah. I'm really excited for that. And um, uh, I do feel, you know, Netflix is, is an interesting, this is another thing to talk about, but I, you know, I, since I'm someone who has all of the various, I have Disney Plus and I have Apple TV Plus and I have, uh, I don't have Amazon Prime anymore, but I have access to it. And I have uh, Netflix and I have Hulu. Netflix is actually doing the most interesting stuff around global, particularly in science fiction, and not just for dramas too, around global, you know, really getting global stories. Um, mm-hmm. So I've watched a lot of, you know, stuff from, you know, various Asian countries, of course, a lot of stuff from South America, a lot of like, you know, um, not as many Caribbean, um, but and then there's, I've watched a number of uh, African uh, series, um, some dramas, some comedies, and I'm really sort of like, okay, they ha- you know they have the they have the money to or in the I guess the desire to tell these stories. So I'm really um, I'm really actually shocked that it, it didn't come up in my in my uh, algorithm though. So I have to really start making sure that um, more of these more of these uh, great stories don't just um, go unseen by me it's you know and we're at we're at time here but just uh quickly so i was you know it was also i was in kenya in over the break and with my family and watching um you know this is this you know the small world moment where we're sitting around in the evening watching netflix in kenya right you know (laughs) and um but and i learned a, a a term which i hadn't encountered before which is bouquet um this is what they refer to each ah, national um, market, each, each martial market has its own bouquet of, of course, of series. So the um, uh, so the bouquet available in uh, I just find I just keep saying it because I think it's so hilarious. <laughs> um, the bouquet available in Kenya is actually much more heavily weighted towards you know unsurprisingly uh, Nigerian primarily, yes, but, but yes. African content, right? You know, so I was watching a lot of. Um, 
you know, Nollywood on Netflix and yes. thinking about, oh, this is so interesting, you know, because it's, it's, it speaks to this larger question of how we talk about like the quote unquote algorithm, right? It is both this neutral thing that's, you know, it's not, it's not neutral, no, but it's, it's both this, um, it's both this behind the scenes, um, uh, sorting, agglomerating mechanism, but it's also the product of very real business decisions being made about what to show, what to make available in different um, in different national markets. Yeah, um, and and sometimes traveling reminds you of that. You're like, oh yep. yeah, I really want to be able to like you know see more of this uh, than than I can. Well, that's a reason to to, uh, to look forward to uh, future evenings on uh, on Netflix or other platforms. Yes. Uh, that all sounds very good. So why don't you all, the audience, let us know what you think about the relationship between black and fantasy on The Watchmen or in other uh, recent uh, science fiction and super heroic speculative uh, genre uh, media. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and you can post your comments there. Great to talk with you, Shante. Great to talk with you, Tavia. Fantastic Blackness is written by Shantae Paradigm Smalls and Tavia Nyong'o with music and production by Alex Van Gills. 